Showtime. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm Brent Holland, and thank you all for joining us. Uh, we're with Michael Cremal tonight. We're going to be looking at archaeology. He is known as the Forbidden Archaeologist. Indeed, he has a book out by the same title. We're going to be looking at all things archaeological, uh, but we're going to take you on a ride right around the world. We're going to go to various countries and discuss what's going on in those countries and some alarming things that are taking place as well. Settle in, get the coffee going, get the tea going, just settle in, get the feet up, relax. This is your time, folks, for the next little while. We're going to take you on a wonderful journey tonight. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. Welcome, folks. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome tonight, Fred. Thank you all for joining us. As I said at the outset, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. Just put your feet up and relax. Take the stress off. This is a wonderful journey we're going to take you on tonight. We're going to go right around the world in various countries, folks, looking at archaeological finds and the suppression of new information that is going to be coming to light. Uh, in a new book called The Forbidden Archaeologist, with our guest tonight, Michael Cremos, with us. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank Good you to be with us. you, Brad. Thank you, my friend. With all your, all your viewers. Thank you very Listeners. much. Let's start off right away, shall you? Why do they call you the Forbidden Archaeologist? Well, that's because I deal with archaeological discoveries that mainstream archaeologists would rather not talk about. According to mainstream archaeology, humans like us first came into existence less than 200,000 years ago. And they would say before that, there were no human beings like us. There were simply more primitive ape-like human ancestors. And they say all of the archaeological discoveries support that point of view. Now, I had some questions about that, so I decided to look beyond the textbooks, look at the original scientific reports by archaeologists, geologists, other scientists mm. who are mm -hmm. digging into the ground, mm. and see what they're actually reporting. When I did that, when I did eight years of research looking into the whole history of archaeology, I found many scientists were reporting finding human bones, human artifacts, human footprints, many millions of years old, far older than 200,000 years. So I collected all of that material and put it out in, in, in my books. And and it's something that many mainstream archaeologists would rather just not talk about. So that's why I call myself the forbidden archaeologist. Does it threaten what they're teaching in the universities and what is common knowledge, if you will, quote-unquote? Is that why they are close to new ideas? 
it's I, I think that's one of the causes, not the only cause, but it's one of the causes of the intense levels of conflict we see in the world today among individuals, classes, races, genders, nations, religions even. You know, I want to pick up on that educational aspect because when I was in school, the purpose of my education was to get myself to think for myself. That was the purpose that teachers were trying to teach me. Think for yourself, examine um, your experiences, and become the person you're supposed to be. Uh, Nowadays, I find they just regurgitate out dogma, and you're supposed to follow that dogma without questioning. Do you feel that is somewhat part and parcel to the way uh, you grew up as well? Yes, I, I... I think I was fortunate to have some good teachers, but at a certain point, I became a little bit disappointed with mm-hmm. the modern university education system. I, I, I was appalled by what I would call the knowledge factory aspect. You weren't allowed the challenge of it. That uh, you know, you're, you know, you're, and, and today you can see that universities have become just huge corporations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they, they, uh, they all have, I mean, there's very little attention given, I think, to really educating students in the sense that the word education means you bring out you know, educare, you know, you bring out the truth that's within. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemed to be very little of that. Uh, most universities have become very well connected with corporations mm-hmm. and governments. You know, they're engaged in uh, setting up, you know, laboratories. And basically they look at uh, their students as low price labor, mm-hmm. you know, to do this research. Let's continue on that journey that I promised the folks at the beginning of uh, the, the show. We're going to go from country to country to country. The, one of the countries I want to start off with right away is Canada slash China in the guise of Davidson Black. Can we talk about him as well? Because this was a fellow I had no idea existed in the Canadian historical um documents until I read your book and then I did a little bit of research on him. And this is mm-hmm. a fellow that I think would be well worth we could talk about for a couple of minutes and what he found out and also the fact that uh, again that dollar sign came right back around to bite him in the uh, in the tush. Well Davidson Black was <clears throat> a Canadian physician and physiologist and physical anthropologist those were his interests. Mm-hmm. Educated right here in Toronto. Yes. We're in Toronto right now, folks. Yes. U of T. Born at the late 1800s, educated in 1906. And, you know, he became interested in the question of human origins. Now, at, at that time, the evolutionists were thinking that perhaps the origin of the human species lay somewhere in North Asia. China. China. What's now China? Mm -hmm. Mongolia. Uh, 
So Davidson Black, in addition to being, you know, doing medical work and work in physical anthropology, that means studying how the body works, mm -hmm. he was interested in human origins. So he was thinking of some way he could get a position in China so he could go out and do some expeditions and research on the human origins question. So through his connections, he learned there was a position available with the Beijing Union Medical College, which had been set up in China by the Rockefeller Foundation mm -hmm. in the United States. And it's interesting why they set that institution up in China. They wanted to uh, have China brought into the world of modern science because modern science was the basis of the Rockefeller wealth. You know, Rockefeller had founded Standard Oil, which mm -hmm. was based yeah, on yeah. chemistry and physics, mm -hmm. and, and they had a big operation in China. You know, there's this famous uh, phrase, oil for the lamps of China. Wait, no, no. <clears throat> See, you're educating me. This is great. That's why I love this show. Well, in, in, mm -hmm. in other words, even today, commercial interests have a big interest in China because it's the world's largest population, Absolutely. and Absolutely. they're consuming more and more industrial billion people. Yeah. products. Yeah. So, of course, the Rockefellers wanted to sell oil, kerosene, you know, for the lamps of China, mm. and they also wanted to indoctrinate, you know, the scientific, you know, the educated people of China in the methods of modern materialistic science. So they thought the best way to infiltrate would be to set up a hospital because if you set up, they, they were not allowed to set up a university by the Chinese hmm. ruling forces, but they did allow them to set up a hospital and they thought, okay, well that's good enough because we can get around certain things we by can. doing that, yeah. So Davidson Black uh, got a position in that hospital. Now, he was supposed to be doing you know, medical work and anatomical studies and things like that, which he did. But in his spare time, he was <clears throat> uh, going out and doing some hunting for fossils. He was looking for evidence for a missing link. This infamous missing link we've been yeah. hearing about. Now, he now, came across a couple of teeth, right? Right. And, you know, he, and then he did further research, uh, further excavations in his spare time. Mm -hmm. And his superiors uh, at the Rockefeller Foundation were, at first, not very happy with this. Mm -hmm. But then they decided to back him fully because because of this point I was making earlier, the financial interest had decided that it was in their interest to convince people that they were evolved apes. I don't believe that myself. I think there's a lot of evidence that contradicts that. I'm just saying enough, that, mm -hmm. that there are powerful 
uh, forces in society that thought, well, it's a good idea to convince people that, you know, they're not, you know, fallen angels, they're ascended apes, basically. It's, mm -hmm. it, 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 it puts them more in a mentality to work in factories and offices and be good consumers, and if you've got billions of people doing that, it generates lots of wealth for the, the Rockefellers. Rat race and people involved in the yes. rat race. So I think that's why the Rockefeller Foundation backed him. He, the, the fossils he discovered were called the Beijing Man, or Peking Man Peking, at yeah. that time. And uh, I've been to the place where uh, Davidson Black did his research in Shugutian, China. Mm -hmm. It's now a United Nations World Heritage Site. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you can go there and uh, you know get Beijing man playing cards and toilet paper and, you know, <laughs> and a T-shirt. Right. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, it's there. So, yes, he 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 was from Canada, mm -hmm. and he was. I, I I think he might have originally had some nice motivations, but in in becoming connected with the Rockefeller mm -hmm. Institution, I think he became a tool of their larger interest. At the same time, the Rockefeller Foundation was funding the human evolution work of Davidson Black in China. They were also uh, beginning to uh, do other types of uh, fund other types of research into molecular biology, the first studies of DNA, mm. the uh, first uh, studies of the Big Bang. <laughs> cosmology of the universe, and the head of the scientific branch of the Rockefeller Foundation said, well, it may seem we're putting our money into a lot of different projects, but he said, actually, they're all related, and the ultimate goal is to, first of all, understand how matter works, and understand how matter works in the human body, and if we understand how matter works in the human body and the human brain, this will give us tremendous insight into human nature. And we need that in order, in his words, mm -hmm. to establish beneficial control. He said that? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, control by whom? Well, precisely, that's for, exactly for what, what I was thinking. And for what purpose? For what purpose? And I, I think the larger purpose is to keep people focused on material production and consumption because that serves the interest of industrialists, financiers, politicians, even some religionists. Mm -hmm. And so so Davison Black was, was a key person. Now what's interesting in as that. well in nineteen forty one when the Japanese came into China uh, they had put the artifacts away, locked them away. The human bones. The human bones. And um, and artifacts. And artifacts. Well, ape man, not human. Right. Let's say Beijing man, the ape man, this ape man who was supposed to be our ancestor. And what ended, ended up happening is they made copies of them, 
gave them to to a, to a guy to take care of, and they've never been seen again. The originals. Yeah, well, Just that the happened. Copies. Yeah, the uh, the Rockefeller Foundation in the late 1930s had arranged for the U.S. Marines to come in and take out you know those bones and mm -hmm. bring them back to the United States, but. The official story is that when the Japanese uh, intercepted the train you know, that was carrying the fossils to a port you know, to be shipped out of the country, the, the, the Japanese intercepted them. That's the, more or less the official story. That's the last anybody's ever seen them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in archaeology, by the way, folks, we're speaking with Michael Cremo tonight, and I'm uh, focused. This is incredible. I love this stuff, by the way. Um, he's got a book out called The Forbidden Archaeologist. Easy way to get it, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover associated with tonight's guest. As always, that will take you to a place online where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. I wanted to talk to you some more about archaeology and, and uh, this whole... Uh, manipulation of facts again. The desire to be famous, I guess you could say, or renowned in archaeology, the desire to receive the funding um, causes some fraudulent stuff. Now the Sterkfontein Caves are in South Africa. They became famous in the 1940s and 1950s because some archaeologists discovered some fossils of some ape-man there. Technically, the name is Australopithecus. Mm -hmm. uh, and this creature was maybe about three feet high, and very ape-like, but they think it's a human ancestor. So now the Sterkfontein Caves are a United Nations World Heritage site. Mm -hmm. And they call it the cradle of humanity. Mm -hmm. And actually, millions of tourists go there every year. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to South Africa. I visited the place. Now, they take you down into the caves mm -hmm. where you can see the exact place where the bones of this little fossil ape man were found. You know, it, it, it's presented as almost like a religious experience. Is you know, it really? I, I, you know, I've been to Bethlehem. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I went there once in 1969, which mm -hmm. is a long time ago. It was after one of the big wars in the Middle East. But you know, you go to the manger 67. square in Bethlehem, and the place was deserted because, I mean, normally there are tens of thousands of pilgrims there on Christmas Eve, because I went on Christmas Eve. Mm. And it was deserted. It was deserted. It was yeah. 1969, because it was just after a major war in the Middle mm. East, and the, the tourists were scared yeah, away. Still staying away from it. Mm. So I went, and uh, I went into the manger square, and went to the, the church of the nativity there, mm -hmm. and was taken you know, down into a little cave under the ground, which they say is the place where Christ was born. It's <clears throat> so it's the same sort of mood when mm. you go to the Sterkfontein caves. Is that right? Actually before you're allowed to go into the Sterkfontein right. caves, you have to go through a little museum that they have there. And 
in other words, you have to be brainwashed first before you can. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Go down there. You have to become convinced that this is your ancestor, this little ape man. Huh. You know, just like, like I said, it's it's very reverential. Very, it's presented in, with religious overtones. So you go through this museum, and you know, the, there's a big sign on the door of the museum. Discover yourself. Okay, that's nice. We should all want to discover ourselves. I think that's laudable. But what kind of self do you discover? The first thing you see, you know, there's a big quote by uh, famous English evolutionary scientist Richard Dawkins. Oh, yeah. Saying, we are survival machines, robot vehicles, blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. And then you see these displays where you, know, you have the little ape man who gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So after you've gone through this museum and gotten thoroughly indoctrinated <laughs> and, you know, uh -huh. that these little ape men are your ancestors, you're taken very reverentially down into the mm -hmm. uh, Sterkfontein caves where you see the place where the bones of this little Australopithecus were found. So they call it the cradle of humanity. Now, now, do they feel that this is the first human being ever? Is that why? Well, the first, not the first human being, but our little ape man ancestor. Was there know. nothing before this that could have, you know, because well, you follow they, they would say, well, you go down to some primitive apes and monkeys, very mm -hmm. you know, primitive ancient apes and monkeys. Okay. Now, the reason. I don't consider it to be the cradle of humanity is, as far as I'm concerned, there's archaeological evidence showing that human beings like ourselves were existing at the exact time, same time as our so-called ape-man ancestor at the Sterkfontein Caves. You know, they would say this little ape-man you know, was existing about three million years ago, but there's evidence from many different parts of the world showing that humans like us, fully developed, anatomically modern humans, were existing three or four million years ago, much before that even. Mm. So, you know, for example, at a place called Le Tole in the East African country of Tanzania, mm. Mary Leakey, a very famous archaeologist, sure. announced the discovery in 1979 of footprints there. They were found in layers of rock almost four million years old. And she said in her original report, they're exactly like modern human footprints. Now, she didn't think humans like us made them. She just thought, well, the ape men must have had feet exactly like we do now. And that, but nobody's ever found anything like that. We, you know, we've got the skeletons of the ape men. Australopithecus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who existed three or four million years ago, and their foot structure is like that of a chimpanzee. It's not like that of a modern so human being. So small toes and elongated. Well, yeah, very long yeah. toes, and especially like a, a long first toe that can move out to the side like a human thumb. I okay. mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's what their foot is like. So, so you've got anatomically modern human footprints mm -hmm. in layers of rock 
three or four million years old. At places like Castanetolo in northern Italy, scientists discovered human bones in layers of rock three or four million years old. So there's a lot of cases like that mm -hmm. that you're not going to see in the textbooks today, but which are there in the original archaeological reports showing that humans like us were existing at the same time as our so-called ancestor in, whose bones were found in the Sterfontein Caves in uh, South Africa. <clears throat> as I said, there, the, the Sterfontein Caves are now a United Nations World Heritage Site called the Cradle of Humanity. I call it the Cradle of Lies because I don't think it's true that... <laughs> Michael Cremos, our guest tonight, folks. We're talking about archaeological finds that have been suppressed over the years, and I'm going to ask Michael about one more. You had mentioned that um, uh, the bones found in South Africa, were the, uh, they were only three feet tall, the, the beings that, that had them. Uh, also in Indonesia, there's something called the Hobbit that is only uh, 3.6... Uh, feet tall, about three meters, uh, folks. A meter, I should Not say. Not three meters. Yeah, that so would be. That's another. That's another. That's another time. one. Yeah. And then we get into the Anunnaki, and uh, yeah. Uh, but let's let's stay with Indonesia for now. Now, the Hobbit. Was there any correlation between these two beings at all, or were they two separate entities? Well, talking about South Africa and Indonesia. Well, they're separate entities in this sense. The bones of the little ape man that were found in Indonesia on Flores Island in the Indonesian island chain mm -hmm. are less than 30,000 years old so ah, they're not very old um, they there is something interesting and I think that's the very fact that scientists gave them the name Hobbit and this gets back to another point you know, that we were talking about. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the official scientific name, you know, for these mm -hmm. discoveries that were made in Indonesia on Flores Island, you know, the creature is officially known as Homo floresiensis. Very good, because I could get that. In. That's why I called it a hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if if you heard, you know, a reporter, you know, just mentioned today, archaeologists announced the discovery of bones of the Homo floresiensis on an island in Indonesia. It would just go, right, means nothing. Yeah. You know, so scientists have learned the value of okay. giving you know, attractive names yep. to people. To this happened uh, in the 1970s when scientists went to Africa, to Ethiopia, mm -hmm. and they found, you know, the bones of another Australopithecus. You know, not, you know, this basically the same type as found in South Africa, Sterkfontein Caves, but in another part of Africa. You know, they found some more bones of little ape man, ape woman, mm -hmm. uh, that again was, you know, three, three and a half feet tall, very ape-like, but they thought it's an ancestor. The scientific name for this creature 
is Australopithecus afarensis. But again, you know, if you just were listening to the radio and scientists, that's and today archaeologists in Ethiopia, wherever that is. Uh, I mean, I love Ethiopia myself, but you know, for many people, it's like the far side. Of the I know, moon. I understand. And if if and found bones of Australopithecus afarensis, huh? <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. But they decided the the archaeologist who was in charge of the discovery said, "Lucy, my God, I remember yeah. that." Now, of course you yes. you do because it's very memorable. Yes. You know, the, yes that yes. Beatles song was out, yeah, "Lucy yeah, in yeah. the Sky with, with Diamonds." diamonds. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to convince people, <laughs> see, I think what they found is just some other little animal. It's got no relationship to us as human beings in terms of being ancestral because I think human beings have always been on this planet. You know, you know they're just other types of animals. <clears throat> so, but if you want to convince people mm -hmm. that this little creature is your ancestor, then you give it a human name like Lucy because mm -hmm. you know, your grandmother's name might have been Lucy, your sister's name, your niece's name. You humanize it, it. Humanizes it. Yeah. And then you think, wow, this is important. This is my ancestor, Lucy, my great 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 grand grandmother or something. Mm. Michael, human beings, in your opinion, in this form, have always been on the earth. Is yes. that okay? Yes, that's. Where are we going? Will we? I hate to use the word evolve because it doesn't seem to be in the vocabulary we're talking about right now, but where are we headed? Well, that depends. Will we survive? Well, that depends on you know, the decisions that people make. Mm. I, I see two basic types of people in the world. And this goes back to the fundamental question, what are we? Are we beings of pure consciousness or are we machines made of molecules in competition with each other for survival like these robots you know, that there's mm -hmm. so many films about these days? Yeah. That's always been man's dilemma, hasn't it? Or dichotomy, I should say. How to create, how to create morally uh, without any adverse effects on your fellow man or even the planet. Yeah. So, basically you've got these two types of people. One type of person is trying to understand in different ways. I'm a being of pure consciousness. I have higher needs that I have to give attention to. I have to have a proper balance in, in my life between you know, the spiritual and material side of things. Mm -hmm. And such a person will also tend to see other people as also beings of pure consciousness and sense some kind of unity with them and not want to get into dividing into groups, mm -hmm. classes, races, genders, religions, nations. Be looking for the kind of like the unity mm -hmm. and how to sustainably use the resources on earth to satisfy the genuine needs that people have. I think Gandhi once said there's enough for everybody's need but not enough for everybody's greed. Very good. Uh, Very good. So yeah. 
And then there's the other type of person who's trying to get more and more deeply into the material competition, exploitation, domination, control, divide, compete, you know. Uh, so I think our future as humanity mm -hmm. depends on the numbers of people that adopt each mood. And if we had the leaders of society adopting the right mood, then the whole human society would be structured in a proper way. Now, because that doesn't seem to be the case now, uh, those who are trying for this higher understanding have to do so individually and network with other people like and groups people. who are trying to do that. And and uh, it, it can often be very, very difficult because you know the dominant forces seem to be going in a different direction. So, so the way things are going, I see a lot of hopeful signs in the sense that more and more people seem to be you know waking up to what I would call you know these higher, higher goals and higher consciousness. Michael, I want to take it off the planet for a second. If human beings on this planet have always been around, is there a chance? I, I believe there is life outside of this planet, off this planet. Is there a chance that human beings in our form may exist in other planets as well? Yes, and I've talked a little bit about this on a series that's aired on the History Channel over the past few years called Ancient Aliens. I apologize, I haven't seen it. Uh, however, I have kind of an expanded conception Please. of what extraterrestrials really are. Mm -hmm. Now, I get a lot of my ideas from my studies in the ancient Sanskrit writings mm -hmm. of India. They say there are 400,000 human-like species scattered throughout the cosmos. And they speak of spaceships called Vimanas, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they have that there have been contacts between humans on this planet and these extraterrestrial intelligent beings mm -hmm. who are also human-like. But some people tend to think that all extraterrestrials are just flesh and blood humans like ourselves who maybe have mastered more superior technologies and yeah. but I, I think well I, I think that's part of the story okay but I think ultimately there are different levels of the cosmos. You know, there are levels that are dominated by the grosser energies, you could mm -hmm. say, and then there are levels that are dominated by more subtle energies. And at different levels, there are beings adapted to the conditions there. So on our level, we're in one of the denser levels, I would say. Okay. And we're kind of adapted to functioning in a world of dense material elements. However, there are higher levels of the cosmos that are progressively more and more subtle in terms of their energy density. Oh, I see what you're saying. So they may take on a different form, therefore, yes. because they, they take on a form to serve 
whatever level they're at right. consciously. Yes, mean? yes. And you know, people have, I would say at the highest level, you have the beings of pure consciousness with no contact with matter in any form, mm. either gross or subtle. Mm -hmm. Then you have an intermediate level where uh, you have you know, beings that are in contact with more subtle material energies. And in different cultures, people have different names for these beings. You know, they call them demigods or Manitou or Jean mm -hmm. or angels or, you know, they, you know, they're different names that people give to these beings. So I think that, yes, there are extraterrestrial beings all over the place mm -hmm. in the cosmos and we're in contact with them and have been in contact with them for ages and ages but it seems that in past times on earth and more ancient times in our history many people were more aware of these things that interesting interesting that do you feel now, we manifest our bodies according to the consciousness level that we yes. that we have we do it yeah so i understand what you're saying now therefore how what came first the chicken or the egg in human how we became to be does that make sense that question in other words what was the very first essence of a human being was it just energy well, that formed and then we manifested <laughs> a body well i would look at it I, I think the the chicken and the egg analogy really doesn't work uh, okay. a lot for me. I, okay. I tend to see we are reflections of higher realities. In, in other words, it's uh, I think the reason why you know we have form and bodies is because on the highest level of reality, the spiritual level of reality, there is personality, there is form, there is there there are spiritual senses mm -hmm. and the reason why we have them here is it's just like say if you have you know, a, a tree reflected in water I mean the reason why there are leaves and fruit on the reflection of the tree is because Very good. Yeah. on the real tree That's right. yeah. excellent now it, you know, if you go for the fruit in the reflected tree, you're not going to experience it. You know, gotcha. like you've got to go to the yeah. the real, the original. So I think our forms that we have on this level of reality are reflections of our original spiritual forms. But now, what we're doing is we're giving too much attention to the reflection. And not enough to the actual reality. And, and therefore we're experiencing lots of dissatisfaction in our attempts to become happy on this level of reality. So we're meant to become happy but we're only going to become truly happy when we identify with our real selves and not our temporary reflections in the world of matter. That's a uh, how I tend to look at at these questions. Now, I will respond a little more directly to your question about what came, how these bodies actually manifested. 
say, as human beings, we're normally meant to exist on the land. Mm -hmm. Now, if we want to exist in an alien element like water, we want to live under the water, we require a vehicle that will allow us to function there, like a submarine, for example, or a diving suit. Mm -hmm. Now, where does that submarine or diving suit come from? Well, it comes from an intelligent engineer who understands that if a human being is going to live under the water, it needs a vehicle that will allow it to function there. So I would say, as beings of pure consciousness, we're meant to exist on what I call the level of pure consciousness. If we enter the world of matter, which is an alien element, mm. then we need vehicles that will allow us to function on this level. And that's what these bodies are. And where do they come from? Well, there's a higher intelligence in the cosmos. You can call it God if you like, but uh, there's a higher intelligence in the cosmos who understands that if conscious selves are going to function in the world of matter, they need vehicles that will allow them to function there. So that higher intelligence designs and manifests those vehicles. Now the difference between these bodily vehicles and things like submarines mm -hmm. and diving suits is that once the first ones of these produced, they can go on to reproduce themselves. Ah. But, but any body is a vehicle mm. for a conscious self, and any body, material body, is temporary. So what happens when this temporary material vehicle disintegrates? Mm say the conscious self goes to another vehicle according to its level of consciousness. That's reincarnation or transmigration. And mm -hmm. th that is found in a lot of different ancient wisdom traditions, this idea of transmigration of the soul. Do you feel we've lost that Do you, on purpose in order to pursue our desire for earthly goods, if you will, or, or for... Uh... Well, I think there are people who would like to keep that idea marginalized mm. uh, because there is scientific evidence you know, for reincarnation. Yes, there is. The work of Ian Stevenson, his studies of past life memories Another and things Canadian. like that. So... Uh, Okay, we're going to have to start to wrap up, but I want to ask you, what, they, what did they find in California in the gold mines in 1849? Well, yes, let's get back to the stones and bones. Yeah. <laughs> well, but these other questions come up because... Oh, absolutely, they have to. They come up because... They have to because this is the uh, extension of it. But it's one of the... A really, it's a, to me, it's a very fascinating me case. Too. In the 19th century, gold was discovered in... California and miners went to get the gold. And to get the gold, they were digging tunnels into the sides of mountains, mm -hmm. like Table Mountain and the Sierra Nevada Mountains. And in these tunnels, the miners were finding human bones and human artifacts, many of them in many different places, and layers of rock that modern geologists tell us are 
about 50 million years old. Now these discoveries were reported to the scientific world by Dr. J.D. Whitney, who was a Harvard-educated geologist. He was the chief government geologist of California, and his report about these things was published by Harvard University, but we don't see these things mentioned in the textbooks mm -hmm. today because it just totally contradicts the current theory that humans evolved from more primitive ape-like human ancestors coming into existence less than 200,000 years ago. So it's just one of these hundreds of fascinating cases that I've uncovered in, in my research. Now the artifacts are still in the Museum of Anthropology at the University of California at Berkeley, Berkeley. and I've been there and I've seen them. Oh, you have? Yes, but they're not displayed to the public. I was surprised, I'm surprised at that because I didn't think they would give you access to them. Well, it's kind of interesting. A, a few years ago, mm -hmm. um, I was a consultant for a television documentary called The Mysterious Origins of Man. It was produced by... Oh, sure, a in man the 90s, named, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah produced sure. by a man named Bill Cote. Now, he had read my book, Forbidden Archaeology, and he was desiring to have some of the cases in his documentary. So I told him about these California gold mine discoveries, and I told him he should go to that museum, and the museum officials wouldn't let him see the artifacts or film them. Really? Now, later I went back myself, and I was able to convince the museum officials to let me personally see them. Were you, by seeing, were you allowed to examine them at all? Yes. Or? Oh, you were? Yes. And what was your, um, what was your uh, conclusions? Well, they're definitely human artifacts. There's mortars and pestles. And, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're definitely something made by a human being. It's not, uh, it, it takes human intelligence to do that. So, it, to me, it was very amazing to be in the presence of these human artifacts that were made by humans of our level of intelligence millions of years ago. It's absolutely fascinating. And I also went out to the Sierra Nevada mountains and I rediscovered some of the old gold mining tunnels where these mm -hmm. objects were originally found. So that's the, the, these, this kind of work that I do. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely incredible. You know, I had interviewed Jane Goodall, and uh, I had asked her, do apes ever show any signs of creativity? She said only when they play, and basically what one will do is inevitably he'll grab a stick and go and poke another one in the butt. And, um, but she said she keeps hoping and waiting that they'll show some signs of uh, something uh, towards creativity, but apparently human beings are the only ones to show that. Uh, the creativity. So I think that possibly leads credence to uh, your theories. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd like to say is I'm presenting my ideas, but I respect the right of each individual scientist or member of the general public to make up their own minds about these things. Amen. And I would just say the only thing that I would say is 
uh, you should have a complete set of facts available in your for your decision-making process. Yeah. So this is what I think I've tried to contribute. Even my critics in the scientific world have said there's some value to the kind of research that I'm doing. One so, of the stats, actually, in your book, um, is it 80% of archaeological uh, documents haven't been published yet in Italy, I think it is? Well, this is a, a big problem with archaeologists. Uh, you know, these, especially these days, mm. because the way that the governmental laws and regulations work now is when any contractor is going to make a building or a bridge or any government is going to put a highway through somewhere, mm -hmm. they have to do archaeological impact reports, which means archaeologists have and it's created a huge industry called contract archaeology. It's created employment. Right, it's created employment for thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of archaeologists. Now, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or somewhere in between? Uh, going back to what we've been discussing and the desire for notoriety and also financial backing. Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's a. I'm just saying it's an industry. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody has to have some kind of livelihood, but uh, I'm just saying it's yeah. just a fact. But the fact is, let's keep Fujimoro away from it, <laughs> that you, know, you have hundreds of thousands of archaeologists now working in what's called contract archaeology, which means that the developer whether it's a governmental agency or a private corporation, has to pay for, for these archaeological impact reports, which means they go out and they do their research, they collect things, and it just piles up in warehouses and museums, and it, and it never really gets you know, published and added to the public database, yeah. which all of a sudden, I got this image of um, Indiana Jones in that big warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant is. You yeah, know, yeah. Well, some people think that's just a Hollywood fantasy, but there there is stuff in there's the probably warehouses that like the that. public yeah. public uh, doesn't get to go. For example, I got to see the California gold mine discoveries in the museum yeah. that I visited. To do that, I had to go through a process of several months of making applications really? and jumping through all kinds of hoops Is in it order a, to do that. Because of credibility, Michael? Or well, is it a it's, 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 there's a sense of control. Average, guess, there's, mm. uh, they look at themselves as controlling a resource. Uh. And they want to ensure that the resources that they control are used in ways that they approve. Mm. You know, so that's... <clears throat> Would you, well, you know, we've been discuss discussing academia as well, and uh, we'll start to wrap up, but um, would you recommend students going into archaeology through the traditional university system, or is there another way they could approach it? Well, you can, you can do it either way. However, I think it's good 
even if you're into alternative ideas to get training in the university system. Okay. Because, say, if you're going to criticize what they're saying, at least you should know what they're saying. What they're saying. Very good. You know, I think that's, that's, that's valuable. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction. Have we found anything that could be called or labeled as extraterrestrial in terms of ancient artifacts here on Earth? Well, or even bones, bones and stones. It's it's not that. my you know main field of you know research, uh -huh. and I think you know you could talk to researchers like Lloyd Pye, for example, okay. who thinks uh, he may have some evidence of an ancient skull that has a combination of terrestrial and extraterrestrial features and DNA. You know, he's, he's, he's doing research on that. I don't think he's come to his final conclusion, but he's okay. pursuing that. I personally haven't encountered anything Just like that, of that, that exact question. type thing. What I have encountered is depictions of extraterrestrial beings and craft in many ancient temples. Big time. And also in the ancient Sanskrit writings, there are elaborate descriptions of extraterrestrials. And I think, why is that? I think it's because they exist. You know, and that, not just one culture. It seems to be predominant right around the world in many, many cultures. Yeah. Even here in Canada, folks, um, our, our First Nations folks call them uh, sky people, for example. Right. You know? So... Um, Many, many examples. Yeah, in my book, Human Devolution, I've got a chapter in which I do a cross-cultural study of cosmologies. I look at cosmologies of about 30 different cultures, uh, First Peoples, mm -hmm. Australian Aboriginals, African Tribal People, Pacific Islanders, you know, the, the great traditional civilizations, mm -hmm. you know, the ancient Chinese and the Japanese and the Romans and the Greeks, and look at their cosmologies, and I find they have many common features, even though they're widely separated yes, from time yes, and space. Yes, yes. They all tend to see that we're part of a whole cosmic hierarchy of beings. It's not just humans on Earth. You know, they all tend to think humans have been around since the beginning. They all tend to think there's something more to a human being than just this vehicle made of matter. There's some subtle energies that give people paranormal powers, and there's a conscious self that can exist apart from the body. These are common features of these uh, different cultures and wisdom traditions from all different times and places in the world. And the reason I think they have so many common features is that they're all perceiving the same reality from slightly different points of view. This is if you're looking at a mountain from different directions. Well, the people from the north, looking at it from the north, are going to describe the mountain in a certain way. The people who are describing it from the south are going to describe it in a particular way. I love Those your analogies. East and west. They're bang on. But even though they're 
slightly different, it's obvious they're talking about the same thing because they're all perceiving the same thing from their different perspectives. So that's why I think all these different wisdom traditions, ancient wisdom traditions, have these accounts of extraterrestrial beings, different craft and things like that. Very good. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been a real sincere pleasure, my friend. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Sincerely enjoyed it. Folks, Michael Cremo, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover associated with tonight's guest. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order this book from the comfort of your own home. I'm Brent Hallman from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Thank you.